in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to pretty much finish up chapter 5 tonight. We are going to have two choices here that God is going to present before you. You can either walk in the flesh or you can walk in the spirit. Those are your two choices. But what does that mean? I mean, we hear those things all the time, but we want to see exactly what that means. So Galatians 5.16 here says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh, flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. So here you can see it's not an either or, or I should say it's not a both, it's an either or. You do one or the other. You cannot, uh, trying to figure out if I said that right, it didn't sound right. You can't do both. You need to choose. Every day we're making decisions. Do I live in the flesh or do I live in the spirit? I'll, I'll admit there are times I'm living in the flesh, but I'm not supposed to. Right? So this is the answer of what it means to live in the flesh right here. You're going to obey the law by walking in the Spirit rather than the flesh. Again, that should have you know, cleared it right up, right? Well, it doesn't, does it? We need to show you a little bit more. Walking in the Spirit is not miracles. It's not emotions. It's not your feelings. And I think in our society today, this has really been confusing and confused. People think that to walk in the Spirit means to feel the joy of the Holy Spirit, to feel the warmth of the Holy Spirit, to have some emotional walk. That's, that has nothing to do with it. Even maybe to prophesy or to do miracles would be walking in the Spirit. But that's not what it means to be walking in the Spirit even though that's what's taught oftentimes today. That, well, if you really have the Holy Spirit, you're going to be speaking in tongues. You're going to be doing this. You're going to be doing that. No. Do you remember Saul? Saul prophesied, and yet he was not walking in the Spirit. He was walking in the flesh. Balaam. Remember Balaam and his donkey? Balaam prophesied even things of God but walked in the flesh. And so we have to re, maybe rethink a little bit of what it means to be walking in the Spirit. Because especially in charismatic churches today, walking in the Spirit is all about feelings, emotions, and warm fuzzies. Our own ideas, dreams, things like that. So... Uh, Looking back on verse 14, which we're not going to cover here again tonight, but walking by the Spirit, he said it, it can be summed up in one thing, one word. Ultimately, it was love, loving your neighbor. Well, how do you love your neighbor? Well, we talked about last week how the Ten Commandments are summed up in two things, the loving your neighbor and loving God. And so when he says that walking in the Spirit can be summed up in one word, loving your neighbor, that means it's doing what God's Word says following those commandments in a sense. Now again, have to say it, we're not talking about salvation here. That by doing these things you gain salvation. It is because you have gained salvation that you end up doing these things. Okay? 
I know you get tired of me saying that, but in case people are listening to this, they need to make sure they hear that. Um, Romans 7.14 said that the law is spiritual. And we talked about that, uh, the spirit of the law, in a number of different cases here in the last few weeks. But what that means then, if we are to walk in the spirit and the law is spiritual, then that means that to walk in the spirit is to obey the law. All right, we're going to kind of unwrap that a little bit more to show you exactly what that means. But uh, like I said, last week, most people think that it simply means to be free from the law. To be walking in the spirit means I'm free from the law. That is not the case at all. You're free from the condemnation of the law. You're not under the law, but yet you still stand on the law. There's a difference between being under it and standing on it. You're not controlled by it. You're in control of it, in a sense, because of the spirit that lives inside you. So I want to basically look at some other scriptures that illustrate this same point that I'm trying to get across here, or that is being said here in Galatians 5. So we're going to take you back first to the Old Testament, Nehemiah. Now, basically after relaying what God did for them and bringing them out of Egypt, he says that he gave his good spirit to them. After he delivered them, after he saved them, then he gives the spirit to him. It says this, you also gave your good spirit to do what? Instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. So not only providing for their physical needs, but also their spiritual needs here. Verse 26, jumping there, it says, Nevertheless, they were disobedient. They had the Spirit, and yet they were disobedient. So they were walking in the Spirit, they had the Spirit, but they refused to walk in the Spirit and instead walked in the flesh, and that's why they become disobedient. It says, They rebelled against you, cast your law behind their backs, and killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself. And they were great provocations. So, how did they rebel? By casting the law away. Even though the Spirit was there to instruct them in it, they rejected it. I, I think that that's what goes on today. Again, if you watch Daniel Joseph this morning, another great message, and he kind of pulled in from the book of the Wisdom of Solomon. And you go, another one, oh, not another one of those books. But he showed you, it was in the King James Version of Scripture. It was, it's in the Dead Sea Scrolls. I mean, it's in the Latin Vulgate, which was the Bible for a thousand years. It's just not in ours today. But in the Wisdom of Solomon, it talked about idol worship and how the first thing that draws you to idol worship are your emotions, ultimately. And Satan knows this, so he goes after your loved ones. You know, you don't want to hurt them. You don't want to feel weird in front of your friends. or all. The, he'll do anything he can, use your spouse, your children, whatever, for you to do these little small compromises. In essence, that's what happened here. Nevertheless, they were disobedient. They cast the law behind them, away from them. Why? Because they did what they wanted to do. They weren't willing to submit 
to him they wanted to be king. Doesn't that sound like somebody else we know? All the way back to the garden. You too can be like God. You too can make your own rules. See, we can live Christianity how you want. We have all these different denominations because we can do what we want or what we think rather than letting Scripture make it. Now, I'm not saying all denominations are bad or anything like that. What I'm saying is that there's too much of that out there where we allow our desires to dictate what truth is. It goes on here in verse 27, Therefore you delivered them into the hand of their enemies, because they cast the law behind them, who oppressed them. And in the time of their trouble, when they cried to you, you heard from heaven, and according to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, after they were blessed, after they became comfortable again, it says they again did evil before you. Therefore you left them in the hand of their enemies so that, you, so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your miracles. This is the cycle that goes over and over and over. Through the whole book of Judges, that's what it is. Help us, Lord. God helps. Oh, we'll worship you. And then pretty soon, they cast the law behind them, and they're right back in the same cycle all over again. This is, it's the natural way of man. It is the flesh for us to forget God when things are going well. Look at the United States of America. We have cast him out. We have cast his law away. Our churches have become progressive, accepting BLM, accepting you know, uh, all of these ideas of homosexuality, uh, you know, not standing up for abortion, all kind, against abortion, all those kinds of things that we do. Why? Because we're comfortable. We don't need you. I mean, we're doing pretty well. I mean, look, I've got a house. I've, I've got food on my table. I mean, why, why do we really need God? I'm doing pretty well on my own. Well, let me tell you, we're not. You know, I think that's going to change shortly. It goes on in verse 29, and testified against them that you might bring them back to your law. What was the point of God allowing trials and tribulations to come in their life? To bring them back to his law. Let me tell you something, that's what's going to happen in the United States of America. He is going to allow bad things to happen because he is wooing you back to him. Not because he, I said to obey, so you better obey for the sake of obeying, because he knows that by obeying, it's for your benefit. <coughs> Excuse me, it's for your blessing. You are the one that will receive joy from that. Not a burden, but joy. It says, Yet they acted proudly, did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. We talked about that back in Hebrews. We looked at this verse where that's used in a good, positive sense and in a negative sense. Here, it's in a good, positive sense. If a man does these things, he'll live by them. You're going to have life. If you keep the commandments of God, it's good. And they shrugged their shoulders, stiffened their necks, and would not hear. Yet for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit in your prophets. Yet they would not listen. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. 
So again, the point is, come back to the law. And here we see, even in the Old Testament, what, was, what did God give in order to bring them back to the law? His Spirit. The same thing He gave us today. And we act as if the giving of the Holy Spirit frees us from the law, yet we see it was the giving of the Spirit that was to bring them back to it. To, to help them. To be able to do it. Now, I'm not saying you're going to be able to do this perfectly in the worldly way, in the fleshly way, but what I'm saying is you can now do all things through Christ who lives in you. Remember Jesus, when he went up, he says, if I don't go away, then the counselor won't come. He says, I have to go so that the Holy Spirit can come and live inside of you, basically. As a church, we do very little focusing on the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we focus on Jesus' death and his resurrection, and we're done. Don't forget his ascension. Without his ascension, there was no spirit. That's a vital part of the life of Christ, that he go back. But it's the spirit as well that testifies against them there in verse 30. So if you're not listening to the law, if we have rejected it and cast it behind us, what spirit are you listening to? Your own? The spirit of the Antichrist, which is lawlessness? That's a question we all need to ask ourselves. Psalm 119.35 says, Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Do we ever pray that? Do we pray these things? We should. We should focus on it. Psalm 85.13, Righteousness will go before him and shall make his footsteps our pathway. We should walk in his footsteps. The whole, what did Jesus do? We don't have to ask, what would he do? We know what he did. What did Jesus do? He showed us. So, that's an important thing. The devil today is telling us that we need to be liberated from this. You should be free from the law. Well, that's because the devil wants to rob you of your blessing. By us being free from the law, that doesn't bring benefit to you. That brings curses, not blessings. So let's look at Romans 8, along the same line, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh. Well, if you're not walking according to the flesh, it goes on to tell you what you are walking in, according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. I mean, just let that sink in a little bit. There's no condemnation for those who don't walk in the flesh, but who walk in the Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that He set you free from the law, like He got rid of the law. He got rid of the condemnation. He got rid of the law of sin and death. It continues, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak, through the flesh. Now, it wasn't the problem of the law, was it? It was the problem with you. The problem of your flesh. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Likeness. 
on account of sin. Because you see, Jesus had no sin. He did not walk in the spirit or in the flesh. He walked in the spirit. So it says he condemned sin in the flesh. So this is a huge part of doctrine right there. That Jesus came in the flesh, but walked in the spirit in the flesh. To deny that Jesus came in the flesh is the spirit of the Antichrist, the Bible tells us. So it's important that you understand that. It continues in verse 4. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now wait a minute, there's a requirement of the law? Yeah. Now, Jesus fulfilled that for you though, right? Well, yes, but is that what this says here? So that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Through Jesus, yes, but it doesn't just say that. It says, who do not walk. That means doing something. Walking the walk. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That means you have to walk, do something in the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. I think this is one of the most frustrating things in my life right here. As I've contemplated this more today, it breaks my heart to see not only in my own life, but in the lives of so many that I know. Well, everybody. And it's like how many things, I, I think of that song what a friend we have in Jesus, where it talks about what needless pain we bear. And something forfeit. How does that go? I can't pull it up. Because we do not carry everything yeah. Lord yeah. How many things do we go through in this life because we do not submit and surrender to Him, that we walk in the Spirit? Ask yourself, where was your mind at? Because remember it says that we do not have the mind here. Don't set your minds on the things of the flesh. Where has your mind been 50% of the time this week? Was it on things of God or was it on things of the flesh? Was it maybe on pornography? Was it on... Uh, money, getting more of it, how to get more of it. Was it on traveling? Where's the next place we can go? Oh, I really want to go here. I want to see that. I want to see this. I want to go there. How about hobbies? Oh, man, I want to get a new boat. I want to get a new motorcycle. I want to get a, a new whatever. Camper. Camper. A new camper. <laughs> Maybe it was on relaxation. Oh man, you know, I just want to do nothing. I want to feed my flesh so that I can do nothing. Can't wait till I retire so I don't have to work anymore. Like that never really happens anyway. But, you know, how many of us 
have spent over half of our time thinking about serving others. Calling somebody who we know is hurting. Praying for somebody who we know is hurting and needs, needs help. Praying to God and just giving Him glory, recognizing who He is. And saying, God, You are worthy. You are powerful. You, you, you deserve all reverence and awe in my life because You alone deserve honor, power, glory. We need to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. Guys, I'll tell you something. If, if our minds are set on that, you will be following the commandments of God. You just will. If your mind is set on the flesh, yeah, you might have to have these little reminders around your house all the time. Now, I'm not saying you can't put the Ten Commandments up on your house, but, you know, we're going to have to have them on the walls. We're going to have to wear our little seat seats so that we, oh yeah, that's right. I got to remember not to, not to steal, not to, you know, to remember my Sabbath day. What, what, I don't, I shouldn't need that because I'm living in the spirit. It's inside me. It's who I am, not who I need to be reminded to be. And that's the difference here. Look at this Proverbs verse, Proverbs 17, 24, the discerning sets his face toward wisdom. That's what your mind should be set on. Wisdom, by the way, many times you can substitute the word Jesus in there, like go to Proverbs 8. Uh, you'll see in Proverbs 8, just substitute the word Jesus. It's there. Wisdom was there at creation, all of that. But it goes on, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. Let me tell you guys, it is foolishness to constantly be setting your eyes on, oh, I wish I could go to Paris. Oh, I wish I could go back to Jerusalem, to Israel. Oh, I wish I could go back to wherever. I know, I, I would love to go back to Israel myself. But if that's what my mind is dwelling on, that is not the things of the Spirit. It is foolishness to have our eyes always on the next fun thing to do this week and next week. I harp on my kids and my family on this all the time, don't I? <laughs> my wife is like, in not a good way. <laughs> Constantly saying, we don't have to have some fun thing to do all the time. And I'm looked at some, looked at as some fuddy-duddy just, stick in the mud, never have any fun. And maybe I am a little out of balance on that. But I, I think the world is out of balance on the other side of it. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anybody here at all. That's not my goal. I, too get distracted with things of this world. It might be different than traveling or other things. It, it can be work. I can't sit still. I don't like to just sit. I have to be doing something. And sometimes I can fill my time with just work and neglect my family. So I am just as guilty as any of you sitting here. It might look different, 
But nonetheless, all of us, myself included, have to examine ourselves and say, am I walking in the flesh or am I walking in the spirit? What are my goals in life? What am, what, what's my goal in the next six months? If it's something of this world or is it something of the spirit? Only those who walk according to the Spirit will live. It's the Spirit, as I said, that empowers us to obey, and it's the blood of Jesus that forgives us when we don't obey. We can't forget that. First John here is going to show us what it means to live in the Spirit. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie. We do not practice the truth. But if... If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Romans 8, 6, For to be carnally minded, it goes on here, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Again, to be spiritually minded, to be mindful of the law and the commandments of God and the decrees of God. I was reading here, uh, I think it was yesterday morning in Genesis 26. And when God is going to, to bless Abraham, you know what it says? Because he keeps my commandments, my decrees and statutes. And I thought, wait a minute. This is Abraham. You know the timing of Abraham, right? That's long before Moses, long before Leviticus. And here it says right there in Genesis 26 that Abraham is being blessed because he kept commandments, statutes, decrees. Well, Leviticus hasn't happened. What are these commandments, laws, decrees? Well, as I've said before, guys, they knew these things before the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments simply put it onto stone. They, knew, they even had burnt offerings before Leviticus, right? Esau, Jacob, Mo, uh, Noah gets off of the ark. What's the first thing he does? He makes sacrifices. Did he tell all that to Adam? I think so, yeah. Uh, we know that it was the angels that gave the law. The scriptures tell us that at Mount Sinai. The angels knew the law. So yeah, somehow, we don't have it written, but we know somehow they had laws and decrees and statutes. The Sabbath, they knew about that because of creation. But at, in Exodus 20, it is just being written down on stone to testify against them. It's like, listen, you're not living in the Spirit. I've got to put this in front of you. I've got to put those Ten Commandments on your wall. I've got to put that cross on your car, that little fish on your car, so that you don't drive 75 and a 55. It goes on here in verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. The carnal mind is the mind of the flesh. It is not subject to the law of God, not that it's not supposed to be, but it says, nor indeed can be. The flesh cannot even subject itself to the law of God because it's incapable. You need the Spirit to be able to even follow the commandments of God. You can't do it on your own. The flesh will steer you aside every single time. That's why Jeremiah talks about the heart is deceitful and wicked beyond cure. Who can understand it? 
Verse 8, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You know, sometimes I like to say things, well, it's pleasing to God if we do this. And I don't even like saying it sometimes because it has been drilled into me so many times that we can do nothing to please God. But yet here, it seems to indicate we're supposed to please God. How do you do that? By living in the Spirit. Just like our parents or our children please us when they do things just from inside. That's what pleases God. You can't, it doesn't please us when we have to make our kids do something and they do it because we told them to do it. It pleases us when they do it without being told because it's inside them. Yet so many people today think that you're lost, you're not a Christian because you're legalistic, because you try to obey the law. Yet it's actually saying the opposite. If you're not obeying the law, you're not pleasing God. Not talking salvation here again, just put that disclaimer in. Saying because you're saved, you better be following the commandments of God. And if you're not, maybe you better ask yourself, am I really saved or am I living and walking in the flesh? That, oh yeah, I said the prayer and now let me go live my life and plan my home and my vacations and my, my work and whatever else you have. We pick the easy ones. Yeah. Yeah. We like to pick the easy ones. And those that aren't, then we can justify and make an excuse not to obey them. But listen, it's God's word. God's word is God's word, and we we don't get to do it. Uh, Ron Brown, he spoke in Iowa here this last week, and he said that one time in, I think it it was in Texas, he started talking about homosexuality and basically the crowd started to get a little bit uh, irritated with him. And so he took his Bible, he opened it up to Romans 1 and he ripped it out and he said, here, is this the Bible you want then? He said, maybe I shouldn't do that, but he said, we pick and choose. I don't want that part of the Bible. Here, here's my Bible. No, guys, we don't have the right to decide what belongs in there and what doesn't. It's there, you keep it, period. So, Romans 8, 9, if you are not in the flesh, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's that, maybe if you're not, maybe you better ask yourself if you are a believer. Is God really in me? Have I surrendered? Have I submitted? Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. You want life? In your flesh, then you have to have his spirit. 
And by the way, note spirit of God and the spirit of Christ here are used synonymously. Okay? So there is no difference. We sometimes take the spirit of Christ means, oh, freedom, freedom from the law. Nope, same thing. It's used synonymously. So if you're a spirit-filled Christian, it means you're going to be following in the footsteps and the commands of God. It's that simple. Oh, you'll fail. You're going to, you're going to you know, miss them here and there and, and you know, definitely screw up. I'm not saying that. But you're going to have a heart for it because a tree is judged by its fruit. You want to know if, there's a, if you're a Christian? There's a standard for that. You don't have to wonder. Where's your heart at? You know. Do you have a desire to, to follow God or not? Because you know, just saying you're a Christian doesn't make you one. We, we've heard that before. Unfortunately, I think because people go to church. Well, I, I go to church. I pray. That makes me a Christian. No, it doesn't. That's not the standard of the walking in the Spirit, going to church and praying. So, again, once more, we're seeing this strong connection between the Spirit and the law. So, let's go revisit 1 John one more time. We already looked at it, but just to, after talking about it, think about this again. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We can lie to ourselves, but if we walk doing something in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. I'm going to go, go out on a limb here, guys, and say we all need to be woke up. We live in a country that has put us to sleep as far as what it means to be a Christian. We have made it so easy that all we have to do is go to church, say we're a Christian, and put the little Christian fish without the Darwin, fish, uh, Darwin feet on the back of our car. That's it. That's all there is to it. Now go live life. Be happy. That is not Christianity. That is not... I mean, do you really think that you're living a life like any of the disciples, the examples we have in Scripture? No, we're not. Now, each of us is going to have to ask ourselves that question, and each of us has to find our own way. We have to work. Okay? We have to do things. We, we have to be in this world. But at the same time, there are ways that we can walk in the Spirit as we do those things. So, if we walk in the light, then the blood of Jesus is effective Jesus never even said it was going to be easy, did he? In fact, he actually said the opposite. You're going to be persecuted because of me. The world is going to hate you because of me. But we want the easy street. That's why we have to be in the Word, because it's that Word, the Spirit working through the Word, that empowers us. He gives us the strength to be bold. I'll tell you, I, I think that if most people, myself included in the church today, had to go through the 40-year desert wandering, none of us would make it. We would complain just like they did in the first three days because they had no water. When our flesh is weak, 
Boy, when I, my flesh gets worn down, it can get ugly. Back to Galatians. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So, are you doing what you wish, or what the Spirit asks you to do? Maybe this week you need to turn off that TV, get off of Facebook, get off of Instagram, get off of TikTok, stop chasing the God of the almighty dollar, the God of entertainment, whatever it might be, and meditate on God's Word. Memorize a Bible verse. Find somebody that you can call and pray for, pray with. Look for the opportunities around you. You know, when the Israelites went out into the wilderness and they didn't have water, was it because God wasn't watching out for them? No. It says that He was testing them. Maybe God has blessed us with what we have as a test. Because it doesn't always have to be suffering as a test. Sometimes it can be our blessings too. Second Timothy speaks of our warring here. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. You're going to endure hardships. It's not going to be easy. It's not supposed to be easy. But as you compete, there are rules. You need to compete by those rules. You don't get to make them. Verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now you just take this by itself, yeah. Oh, we're free from the law. We get to, you know, it has no meaning in my life anymore. No. The context here is important. As you've seen, and many other places show us the same thing that we've been talking about. It, clearly it means we're not saved by the law. Okay? And it also clearly means we're not condemned by it. But it doesn't mean the law is gone either. Verse 19 continues, Now the works of the flesh are evident. You want to know what it means to be walking in the flesh, which is just the opposite of walking in the Spirit? Well, here he defines it for you. Context will explain it all. What are the works of the flesh? Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. Let's maybe put some things to that. Adultery. Not loving your spouse like you're supposed to. Fornication. Cheating on your spouse. Pornography. Uncleanliness. Does that just mean not washing your hands before you eat? Or does that maybe mean protecting the temple? God gave us what clean and unclean is. 
lewdness, dirty jokes, cussing and swearing, those sexual innuendos on the TV shows you like to watch, idolatry, maybe it's money, putting anything where your heart is, that's where your God is. How about sorcery, horoscopes, maybe vibrations? Uh, hatred. You have some hatred towards somebody? Contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. What's a heresy? Well, that's something that's not biblical. It's like bad doctrine, isn't it? Huh. Maybe like evolution? Among a thousand more that we could list? Envy? Man, I wish I had their house. I wish I had their car. I wish I had their motorcycle, their boat, their camper. Murders? Drunkenness? Revelries? Got a party all the time. And the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice... That's doing. Such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Guys, in some way, he hit almost all of the commandments there. Not all of them, but a lot of them. In other words, he's using the Ten Commandments to say, if you're breaking those commandments, that's what it means to live in the flesh. So if the opposite of living in the flesh is living in the Spirit, that means not doing those bad things and doing the good things... It seems kind of clear what it means to be walking in the Spirit. It doesn't mean you're free to go live your life for you. 1 John 3, 6, Whoever abides in Him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen Him nor known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as He is righteous. Man, I... It's just so weird how many times in the New Testament there's something to do, like if you actually practice righteousness, do good things, that that's righteous. Not that you're made righteous by them, but rather you're righteous, which is why you're doing them. That you're living in the Spirit. People say it's impossible to walk in righteousness or it's impossible to keep the commandments. Nobody can do that. So let's just throw it all out. Can't do that. So, you know, how many times have any of you here who are trying to follow the commandments of God will hear him say, well, are you doing this? Oh, well, I know you're doing that, but are you doing this one? Right? It's like, well, if you can't do it all, throw them all out. That doesn't make any sense, does it? That's like going back to our children. Well, my kid didn't brush his teeth, so I get, well, you don't have to shower and you don't have to go to bed at, you know, the bedtime anymore either. Because, well, you, you can't do the one, so let's just get rid of all of them. No. Whoever abides in him does not sin, it says. It's kind of like that, what we talked about the other day with you'll never die. I will never die. And it sounds weird to say that, but then we went to the scripture and we see he who believes in me will never die. 
What he's talking about is the second death. Likewise, whoever abides in him does not sin. I don't sin. If I went and said that to anybody in church, they would probably hang me up for heresy, wouldn't they? And yet this is what Scripture says. I don't sin. Why? How? What's that mean? It's the same thing. He's not talking about your every action that you do. He's talking about, I live in a state of righteousness because I have been saved by the blood of Jesus and all of my sins have been atoned for. Therefore, if I get mad and kick the dog, I haven't sinned as a righteous saint because that sin is already covered. I'm not... Yeah, plus it's Jones. <laughs> I might get rewarded in heaven for that one. <laughs> yeah. The point being, though, is that we are living a righteous life in Christ. It's not me or my actions that make me righteous. But yet, because I am righteous, I don't sin even when I fail. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Man, I'll tell you, if that meant, you know, any single sin, nobody's getting to heaven. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. We don't sin, but we still fail, but it's not counted against us. We're not under the law. We're standing on the law. It doesn't rule us, we rule it. There's no condemnation in that law anymore. So anyway, um, like I said here, 1 John tells us it is possible to obey through faith and the Spirit of God and standing under the forgiveness of the blood of Jesus. So if you have a consistent problem with sin, which I'm sure every one of us here does, that means there's something wrong with your relationship with Jesus. Every one of us here has something wrong with our relationship with Jesus. There is some part of our life that we're probably hanging on to. Some, something we don't want to give up. A goal, a desire. It could be pornography or it could be traveling. It could be work. There's something wrong, and we need to examine that. It might even be a list of rules that we've been walking by in the flesh. I know someone who has a journal, and they've written in this journal all of the things that they like. And they were saying that they could give that to their future husband and it would be very easy for them because all they have to do is look at it and they're going to know what she likes. Well, God has made it easy for us too. I thought, oh, that was a great idea. A great idea to kind of just have all of this down and as a husband, but you see... That's what God has done. He's written His journal for us. We know exactly what pleases Him. And when you walk in the flesh, you cannot please God. 1 John 3.8 He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. 
For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. That just doesn't even make any sense if you read it in the flesh. But in the Spirit, understanding the truth of the Gospel, it does make sense. Living in the Spirit means I have a desire to obey God. We've talked about this many times, but Paul said, if I do what I do not want to do, we might call that sin, but God didn't call that sin. He says, it is no longer I myself who do it. I'm not taking the blame. It's sin living in me that does it. Hmm. Who's taking the blame? Not you. If I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it. It's sin living in me that does it. Now again, that can be taken wrong and say, you know, well, the devil made me do it. No, 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 no. That's, That's not it either. You see, Paul hated if I do what I don't want to do. There is no condemnation. It is not counted against you. He is not sinning. God looks at that and He counts that and chalks that up to the flesh, not to the Spirit. Because you have a new Spirit. Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those all seem like things that we're supposed to do. Don't live in the flesh. Live in the Spirit. He just told us what the walking in the flesh was, all of this list of sins. Now he's telling you what it means to walk in the Spirit. Here it is. Love. Well, half of the commandments are right there. We talked about that, right? Peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Well, what self-control? Doing what you're not supposed to do. How do you know what you're not supposed to do? Well, it was written down for you. There's a book that tells you that. Against such, there is no law. There is no law against the Spirit because it doesn't count against you. Those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if you belong to Christ, you crucify the flesh with all of the passions your pornography, your traveling, your relaxation, whatever it is. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Don't think you're better than anybody else. I think as Timothy says that the law was made for the lawless, not for the righteous. What's that mean? The law was not made for the Righteous, but for the unrighteous. Exactly. If I drive 60 in a 60 mile per hour zone, I could drive all day long and not have to worry about a thing, right? The law is not for me. That 60 mile per hour speed limit means nothing to me. But if I decide to go 100 miles per hour, not only am I going to get to see somebody probably sooner than I want to, but I am going to come under the law. 
That simple. You're only under the law when you break the law. That's why the law is not made for the righteous. If we walk in the Spirit, the law says nothing to us. I'm free. I experienced this too. You know, when I was younger, I used to push it all the time. I, I had a, a radar detector when I was in college. Okay. After college, I got rid of that thing. Because, you know, I found that as I'm driving on my trips, and maybe it's a 65-mile speed limit, and I'm going 75 or 80, I'm constantly looking. And then every now and then that car comes over the hill, and my foot's on the... And my heart's... It wasn't a cop. Fine. Or if it was a cop, oh, and you're looking in the mirror, right? That is not a joy-filled life. But when I'm driving the speed limit, which may, I don't, I'm a five over. I figured the law says it's okay, so I'm a five over. If I'm doing the five over, I can drive all day long, not even care what cars are coming at me. I can focus on the sermon or whatever it is that I'm listening on, and my brain is not distracted from that, and it is a peaceful, joyful day. We're not under the law because we live in the Spirit. When you live in the Spirit... These are the things of the Spirit. There's no law for you. Right? But when we disobey, now you're under the law. That's what it means when the law is not made for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. So, today, our environment is one of the flesh. I mean, our, our country, our, our culture is just one of the, uh, of the flesh. Immediate gratification. You know, you want it, you can have it. Just work hard for it. You know, but this is not the things of the Spirit. You know, many of you have started having your worldview shift a little bit in the last couple of years. I think all of us, we, we've got to keep going because when the Israelites were in Babylon... And they were allowed to go back to Jerusalem. Less than 10% of them went back to Jerusalem. I think I've talked about this before. The most sad thing about that is this. Had all of them gone back? They all could have. They'd have been there when Jesus came. But because 90% of them stayed in Babylon, did not come out of her, they missed Jesus when he came. Why didn't people, why was there only 10% that went back? Because you have to remember that 70 years has passed. That means if you were a baby when the Babylonians came and took you back to Babylon, you're now 70 years old. All you have ever known is Babylonian culture. All you ever knew. And it's tough to change culture. We have to ask ourselves, have we been raised in Babylon? In our thinking, the way we think about church, the way we think about the Bible, the way we think about life and what it's about, and what American life is about? Maybe we have to say, wait a minute, I need to take a step back and be one of those 10% who said, God has called me to come out of Babylon, I'm leaving. Because there's going to be blessings on the other side of that. 
I am going to cover just one more verse here. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. The context of this statement is the war where the flesh is battling against the spirit that we just finished here in Galatians. So basically, we are to share the gospel and its assurances to those who are living in the flesh and want to live in the spirit. We're to go to war and rescue those who have fallen. That's what we need to do. And don't forget that, that you have the spirit. He's going to be there. You just have to make a decision to say, this is what I want. I'm going to make a choice today. I'm not watching TikTok. I'm, I'm quitting at 5 o'clock or 5.30 or whatever. I'm leaving work there. I'm done. I'm going to spend time with the family. I'm going to show you the weight of this here. Ezekiel 33, verse 7. You guys are familiar with this, so I'm just going to kind of sum it up. This is the warning where it says that you're to be a watchman on the wall. And when I say to you here, the wicked, oh wicked man, you shall surely die. And you do not speak to warn that wicked man. When God says, listen, you're on a dangerous road and I don't warn you because I see God is telling you that you're on a dangerous road, blood be on my hands. If I don't warn you. If I do warn you and you don't repent, then the blood be on your hands. I did my job. You see, my job as a teacher, as an evangelist, whatever I am, is not to make you change. My job is to just tell you the truth. Your job is the one to change. I can't make you change. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, I'll tell you, ministry can be so frustrating because... Sometimes I feel like I could just talk to a wall all day and accomplish the same thing. You know, you go to a church and I speak on creation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it doesn't change a thing. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, all of the prophets of God were never successful in the eyes of the world to where they gained a big following and people who all just, you know, oh, yes, we're going to change. No. No. They had an audience of one. They were faithful to God's word, and that's all that really matters. That's all that matters for you, too. Be faithful to the word of God. So, point being, though, we need to go rescue someone, and we do that by warning them. And it isn't just to be nice to them, be loving to them. It's more than that. This is a matter of life and death. If somebody's house is burning down, you don't just knock on their door and say, hey, how are you today? Oh, what a beautiful day. You know, and be nice to them and invite them. Wait, would you like to come over to my house? Uh, you know, no, you say, get out of your house. It's burning down. If we don't realize this, if we don't do something, there's going to be a lot more people going to hell. And if that isn't serious enough for you, he says, not only is it their life at stake, but it's your life at stake. Blood be on your head, your hands, if you don't warn them. It continues in verse 10, basically saying, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us and we pine away in them, how can we then live? Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn! Turn from your evil ways. 
In other words, if you pine away in sin, we're going to die. You can pine away after it or you can just ignore it and be comfortable in it. But you're going to die. That's not what the Lord wants. He wants us to repent. And remember, this isn't talking about the death in this age. This is talking about eternal life, eternal death. Verse 12, the righteous of the righteous man shall not deliver him in the days of the transgression. If, uh, therefore you, O son of man, say to the children of people, the righteousness of the righteous man shall not deliver him in the days of transgression. If there's a righteous man who goes and lives in sin, he's no longer righteous. It's kind of weird how your works cannot save you, but they can damn you to hell. Isn't that interesting? You could be a believer for 30 years and abandon the Lord. You're going to die. You can't store up righteousness. That's what this is saying here in Ezekiel. Go read it. Because it's about our relationship with God. If the wicked repent, though, they could have been wicked for 30 years and repent, and they're going to be considered righteous. It's a warning not to grow weary in this fight. When I say to the righteous that you shall surely live, but he trusts in his own righteousness and commits iniquity, none of his righteous works shall be remembered. He can damn you to hell, but it can't save you, but it does reward you. So, again, you won't be saved by keeping the commandments of God, obeying the Sabbath, any of that. But we need to walk in the Spirit and His power and His forgiveness, not grow weary, rely on His righteousness, and you're fine. You're blessed. Think about the Orthodox Jews today. We've talked about this before too, but they keep the commandments of God way better than any of us, but they reject the Messiah, and there's no righteousness for them. You need both. So, trusting in our own righteousness is defined here as breaking God's commands, ultimately. So, trying to think, I'm going to do maybe one more here. Proverbs 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In your, all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct you your paths. Uh, Proverbs 3.1 also says, son, says, my son, do not forsake Torah. And then he says this, ultimately, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from their own mouth or not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. I'm going to probably talk more about this next week. And I'm going to stop here because I think this talks about so many churches and pastors today who soothe you with kind words and tell you to ignore the conviction of the Spirit. It's okay, you're under grace. Spiritual anesthesiologists, basically. They remove the pain. They remove the... the breaking of your spirit. They remove the commandments. So we'll pick up on that next week. But for now, let those be a warning and just know 
that you can walk in the Spirit because you have the Spirit of God in you. And that when you do fail, and you hate the fact that you fail, there's no condemnation and you have not sinned because of Jesus Christ. That's good news. All right, we'll pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and just the truth in it. Lord, let us live it out. You are worthy and we want to please you. We want our life to bring you glory, to bring you honor. And though we fail all the time, Lord, it is such a comfort knowing that it is not counted against us. Blessed is the man whose sins will never be counted against him. You even said that in the Old Testament. And now we have the greatest gift of all through your son Jesus. We see how that is accomplished. And yet so often we trample on that truth and we we take it for granted. May we not do so. May you just challenge us this week, Lord. Reveal to us, every one of us, those things that we do in the flesh. And let us make those choices to to walk in the Spirit by the power of your presence in us. And may we experience the blessings and the promises that you have given us in so doing. In Jesus' name, amen.